Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things. Lord, we're here today just to worship you in song and worship you in word and and in giving, Lord, because you alone are worthy. So we just want to hear your truth this morning. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us are familiar with this word, the word hypocrite. Everybody loves a hypocrite, right? There was an article written in the New York Times over the last few years, and it was based on a study to find out why exactly it is that we hate hypocrites. I mean, it seems easy enough, right? Like someone's speaking out against something, and then later you find out they do the very thing they're speaking out against. But it seems to be a little bit more complex than that. Written in this article, uh, uh, here's a little excerpt of that article, and it goes like this. What exactly is the problem with hypocrisy? When someone condemns the behavior of others, why do we find it so objectionable if we learn that he engages in the same behavior himself? The answer might not be so self-evident. Not practicing what you preach, lacking the willpower to live up to your own ideals, behaving in ways you obviously know are wrong. I mean, these are clear moral failings, perhaps. But research found in the Journal of Psychological Science suggests something a little bit different, a different explanation. We contend that the reason people dislike hypocrites is that their outspoken moralization falsely signals their own virtue. In other words, it's misleading implication that people are so um, virtuous. It's not their failure of will and weakness of character that we despise gives an example. Imagine if you have a co-worker who is someone of an environmental activist. Sounds like fun already. He hounds people to turn off their office lights when they step out for lunch and gets on their case if they throw recyclables in the trash. He protests when people print documents single-sided instead of double-sided. Those monsters. While he's overbearing at times, you kind of agree with some of the things he advocates. Now imagine that you discover your coworker, when at home, never does any of these things. He doesn't recycle, he leaves his lights on, he doesn't practice anything he preaches in the office at home. He is a hypocrite. So you promptly revoke the moral credit that you gave him for his activism. In fact, his hypocrisy now makes his activism seem not just not positive, but negative. How dare he go around telling other people to switch off their lights when he doesn't even do it himself. So we see it's, it's not the actual that we're at, they're upset about and faulting someone because they don't have the willpower to practice what they preach. It's that virtual signal, signaling, that pretending that they're morally superior to you. We see a lot of virtue signaling today, don't we? And it is annoying. We don't, we don't like it. it. It causes more problems than it helps. Well, the point here this morning, well, before I get to the point, if you, 
if you look at what we have on the screen here, this is a, kind of a name tag we should all be wearing if we're honest. Amen? Amen? Hello, I'm a hypocrite. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a hypocrite like me. It, it's freeing. It'll be good. Because we're all hypocrites, right? We're all hypocrites in some way. But it's those who vigorously push their beliefs and their agenda on you, and then they don't practice what they preach. Apparently, that's what really enrages us. However, in our text this morning, James is calling out people for a little bit different way. They are being hypocritical, but it might not be so clear. See, these Christians are claiming to be believers while boasting about doing things in their own power and their own wisdom. They are claiming to live their lives for Jesus, but they're practically living as if God is not in control of their lives. They're making big life decisions based on their goals and their dreams, and then they're boasting about it to others. In fact, James calls their actions sinful. They're living as God does not exist while claiming to virtuously practice Christianity. They're living as if God doesn't exist and then bragging about the outcome even before it happens. You see, these Christians are professing to follow God, but they're living no different than an atheist would. And that's exactly why the title of today's sermon is Practically Atheist, where as Christians, we know God, we know the Bible, but in certain ways, we live as if God doesn't exist. So in practicality, we're living as an atheist. There are many ways that Christians do this. Maybe this morning you're living in fear when the Bible clearly says we should not live in fear. Maybe you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, as the Bible clearly calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In those areas, we would be practically living as an atheist would. In fact, I'll even go a little bit further. I know some non-believers that are way nicer to their neighbors than some Christians I know. But in this case, James is pointing out, claiming to be a Christian, yet boasting about your plans and your success, even before they happen, is just another way that we live like this. Let's get into our text this morning. We'll be in James chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. You could read it in your Bibles or follow along on the screen as I read. Verse 13, come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you, don't need, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If we took these five verses and we boiled them down into one main idea, we would get this. How we speak about our future success reveals who sits on the throne of our hearts. How we speak about our future success reveals who sits on the throne of your hearts. Now, let me explain that throne of your heart's idea. It's often said that when we make decisions based on our wants and our needs and our goals, we cut God out of that process. So think about the ruling throne on your heart. 
when we do this, we take God off that throne and we put ourselves on that throne. Essentially, what we're doing is we're asking God to bow down to our wants and needs. Think about that. This is exactly what James is accusing this group of Christians of this morning. And it doesn't mean that they're not Christians because as we've uh, kind of pointed to a few times, the book of James was written to believers. So these are Christians that obviously have this huge gap in their armor here, as we all do. Amen? Let's break these verses down to see why this main idea is true. Looking at the first two verses. Bragging about yourself instead of bragging about God is basically how you can uh, view this. James starts out, come now, you who say. Like, come now. Really, guys? Like, come now. Today or tomorrow we will go, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. All through chapter 4, as this, as this chapter started, James points out a few things and, and deals with some issues, such as being enemies to God because you are a friend of the world, to um, basically judging your brother and, and, and speaking ill against your brother as, as, a, as a judge. He goes on to talk about how we shouldn't speak evil of one another and, and how we should not judge each other and how we should purify our hearts because of that. So he's kind of ending this chapter with this idea. People boasting about where they're going to go and what they're going to do. Now, on the surface, does that really seem like that big of a deal? To kind of attach it to these other things that, you know, people clearly living in sin? Well, first we have to be reminded, and I was laughing because as I'm reading this, I remembered that James is the half-brother of Jesus. How did Jesus deal with people? when he came upon them as, as recorded in the Gospels? Did he deal with everybody the same way? Because if you really look at it, he, he truly did not. Some people he poured out his grace and his mercy, and some people he broke their backs with the letter of the law. Some people, like the woman caught in adultery, who, was, who had a contrite heart, who knew that she was caught in sin, who seemed apologetic and realized that Jesus was, was Lord, what did Jesus say to her? Who's here to condemn you? I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He showed her grace and mercy and love. To someone like the rich young ruler who said, I've followed all of these you know, commandments since my youth. How, how, how should I get into heaven? And Jesus is like, okay, well, if you don't have a contrite heart, you're self-righteous, I'll tell you, go sell everything you have. And the rich young ruler left there upset. Here it seems that we have people claiming to be Christians, but they're living as God has no control over their lives, and they're boasting about doing things in their own power. Pride, self-righteous, and James deals with them accordingly. The first thing he does is he's, he points to them their folly about how their lives are so fragile. He's like, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone the rest of the year. And it's important to also point out that they're boasting about themselves and they're not trying to glorify God. They're talking about profit. If we're Christ followers, we're supposed to follow the things Jesus did and the things Jesus said. 
Now, if you're, if you're bragging about going somewhere and making a profit, does that sound like a Christ follower? Because I can't ever remember anywhere in the Gospels Jesus going around and saying, hey, guys, we're going to go into this next town, and we're going to sell and trade, and we're going to make lots of profit. I don't ever seem to remember that. But he starts out, you people are bragging about the places that you're going to go and all the money you're going to make. What's up with that? Like, really, what's up with that? How silly is that? Our lives are so short, you don't even realize how short they are. When I was over uh, the youth ministry uh, for about 16 years, uh, our verse was James 4.14. And in a different translation, it translates, and your life is a vapor. And we were vapor student ministries because we thought it was a great idea to remind these young teenagers that life is just really short. You feel like you're going to live forever and there's you know, that you have your whole life ahead of you, but our lives here are just a vapor. They're, they're so short. But going back to this, James is going, how does that show your devotion to God? How is that glorifying God? Because it just sounds like you're glorifying yourself. This God who gives us every heartbeat, every breath of life to accomplish the things that we accomplish anyway. Your life is short, and you don't even know when it will end. So on, right here, we see James going pretty hard at these people and kind of wrecking them for something that doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. He's comparing it, like I said, to these big sinful things uh, you know, all throughout the beginning of chapter 4, attaching it to these, these, these larger things that are obviously sinful because these people were disregarding the law. But what we see here is equally as bad. They were disregarding the providence of God. The providence of God is being how God provides for his children. How God wants us to, to do his will and to do the things that he's calling us to do and be successful in the way that he wants us to be successful. In other words, not submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit and the will of God is just as bad as completely disregarding the law. It brings us to our first point. Boasting about man-made plans for man-made goals is what unbelievers do. That's what James is trying to point out this morning to this group. You're boasting about your man-made plans for your man-made goals. That's what unbelievers do. I mean, it might be a little, seem a little harsh, but if you really think about it, there had to be a reason why James was coming so harshly at these people for this. Maybe they, you know, were leading other people astray and tempting others to go and travel off and make money instead of serving in the church in the role they were serving. Maybe, it might be a little bit more obvious, maybe that trade business wasn't so honest. You know, it is hard for honest people to make a, a living in that kind of job. But either way, it showed the sinfulness of their hearts. They had these man-made plans for man-made goals, and all they were doing is boasting about it before the outcome even happened. That is what unbelievers do, not what Christians do. And it reminds us of our main idea this morning. How we speak about future success reveals who sits on the throne of our hearts. And if we're, claiming, if we're claiming that man-made ideas are going to reward us with earthly rewards, we're being hypocritical. As Christians, we're being hypocritical. We know that God gives us 
like I said, our breath and, and our heartbeats and leads us in every action, and he will certainly bless us according to his will. So claiming to be a Christian who virtuously follows God all the while bragging about your future success is extremely hypocritical. You are saying you are a Christian, but in that aspect, you are living as an atheist. So how should we live? Well, James sums it up in in our final three verses, 15, 16, and 17. He says, instead, instead of that, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So James gives the correct insight how we should be viewing this. You shouldn't be saying, you know, we're going to go here and and we're going to be successful because ultimately, is that not in the hands of God anyway? We don't even know if we're going to make it home from church today, if we're honest. We're going to brag about these places that we're going to go and the things that we're going to do. It's funny, I can remember, I think I was about eight years old, maybe second or third grade, and I was going to get to go to Disney World with my aunt and uncle. My cousin was just old enough to start taking to Disney World, and when you grow up in Florida, you know that is where you want to go. And I, I can remember I, we even, uh, I even got off Friday from school because uh, we were going to spend the whole weekend there, and I remember being at school Thursday and just bragging about where I was going to all my classmates and just being like, while you suckers are here doing work, I'm going to be at the Magic Kingdom enjoying myself. This is going to be awesome. And I remember my, my teacher kind of saying something like, oh, okay, well, good thing you're humble about that, you know, because I was. I was laying it on thick. I was super excited, and that's just the way it was. Thursday night, my mom gets a phone call. I'm packed. I'm ready to go. It was either my aunt or my uncle was really sick, and we had to reschedule. So guess who got to go back into school Friday the next day in front of everybody and go, yeah, I didn't get to go to Disney World. I'm here with you suckers doing schoolwork. I was bragging about something that did not happen yet. And obviously, I was not really um, humble about it. But this is the position we put ourselves in when we brag about our future plans and, and just act like we're just so sure that we can pull them off. Only God has that knowledge and the power to make those things happen. James reminds us here in verse 16 that this is an extremely evil way to look at this. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. You're not just excited about it. You're boasting about it in your arrogance. Uh, it's, 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 it's important because... To know something is wrong and and to still do it is a sin. It's not wrong about being excited about going somewhere, but it's you know that it's wrong to you know say, "Ha ha, I'm going to do this and you're not going to do this," or "Hey, listen to my cool story about what I'm about to go do and be successful." We know deep down inside that that's sinful, but for some reason we do it anyway. And as James is pointing out, this is how unbelievers act. Believers, we do our best to submit all of our plans to God, and then we praise him for the outcome, good or bad, because we know it is in his hands, which brings us to our second point. 
God's will should guide all our decisions, the reason for any success. It's God that, that does these things, not us. His will should guide our decisions and, and should be the, the praise for any success that we have. This should be the pattern of the Christian's behavior and the praise of our hearts. If it is the Lord's will, we will go do these things. If it is not the Lord's will, we will not go do these things. That is how this should work. As we're kind of wrapping up, I'll, I'll call Joe up. So let's concentrate on this as, as we view our own lives and our own plans. Let me ask you, church, are you a Christian in some way that lives practically atheist? Are you a Christian that in some way, shape, or form lives in a way that's contrary to what the Word calls us to do? Think about this as we go over our points this morning. The first one was, Boasting about man-made plans for man-made goals is what unbelievers do. There was a study done not too long ago by Barna Research that um, had a questionnaire, and what they're trying to find out as evangelicals, people that go to church, how many of us have an authentic biblical worldview? Now, a biblical worldview is simply how we view the world. Do we view it through the lens of the gospel and the Bible, or do we view it through the, the lens of man's wisdom? So after a number of questions of uh, uh, you know, biblical stuff, moral issues, uh, life questions, this is what they found. A whopping 20% of professing believers actually have an authentic biblical worldview. 20% of Bible-professing, Bible-believing Americans authentically have a biblical worldview, meaning that when the Bible and the world disagree, the Bible wins. If that were 100% accurate, that means that two out of every 10 of us in here would have a biblical worldview. That's, that is terrible. That's horrible. This is what they found. So that's why James is making it very clear this morning that even the little things about leaving God out of our plans and leaving God out of, out of our lives is a lot bigger deal than we think. It shows in that area we do not have a biblical worldview. Now, like I said, there's a difference between being excited about an upcoming trip or something cool happening in your, your business or, you know, just any kind of good news like that. And, and you're not boasting when you're just happy about it. But it's when we put others down or we elevate ourselves above God is when it becomes sinful. And it's also really worth mentioning that as Christians, our lives should not be about success as much as it is about glorifying who God is. Let me ask you, church, are your plans for success more about you or more about the kingdom? Are they at least even connected? Now, I'm not saying that you can't be successful, and I can't say that you shouldn't be excited about the good decisions that you've made or the hard work that you've done to put into this. But do you praise him and give him the credit when success happens? James shows us the, the right way to do it, and our second point was God's will should guide all our decisions and be the reason for any success. There's so many good reasons why this is a good idea. First of all, 
when we're operating within the will of God, we will be successful. We will. We will be successful, dot, 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 in the way God wants us to be successful. Because we know that God's not a magic genie in a lamp that we could just rub and just command our success through him. Amen? But more importantly, when those around you that you deal with every day, your family, your coworkers, your friends, when they see that your life is truly about putting God's will first, second, your family, and maybe third, success, they're going to see that you are truly someone that puts your money where your mouth is. So when you have those gospel conversations with them, and hopefully you do, they will see that you have an authentic biblical worldview. And we show who truly sits on the throne of our hearts, as we remember our main idea this morning. How we speak about future success reveals who actually sits on the throne of our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Father, help us to remember that you are truly in control of all things. We should look nowhere else than you to find direction for our lives. We should praise no one else than you for the success in our lives, for you give us every breath, every heartbeat to accomplish whatever it is that we do. Not even let alone the fact that you died for our sins so that we may even know you and spend eternity with you. Lord, you alone are worthy. And we love you and we praise you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.